Right, everyone's nodding. Okay, so... <laughs> yeah, this is really great audio from us. <laughs> Before we continue, okay. yeah. uh, can we just do a quick whip round so that people okay. understand who the voices are? I'm yeah. Mike. I'm Claire. I'm Mark. I'm Yitta. I'm Olivia. Ooh, Raphael's got a pet turtle called Spike. That's <clears throat> weird. Who's an actual turtle? Welcome to Pedagodzilla, the pedagogic podcast where we ponder perceptions of pedagogy through the practical prodding with the popular pop culture, spaceships, swords, and atomic monsters, all of the fun stuff in life. Hello, I'm Mike. I'm a guy with a microphone. And I'm Mark, and uh, I'm a guy with cats sitting on him at the moment. Uh, this week, we are going to be doing something, I say a little bit different. We've been doing stuff that's a little bit different um, for a couple of episodes now, so I suppose different to the new norm in COVID-19 world. Basically, we're going to be doing a uh, reflective episode on... Man, I really should have scripted this out. <laughs> we we did a, a workshop back in the days where we could actually meet each other on Blooms and so on, and we recorded bits of it. And now we're going to reflect on how that workshop went and play a few snippets from that workshop because we recorded or Mike recorded it at the time. That's basically what we're doing, isn't it? Um, and yeah, and it's sort of it's a reflection, I suppose, both on the workshop method, but also some of the stuff we covered in there. So without further ado, let's get into it. This particular workshop was one that Mark ran um, as part of a series that he'd been doing with uh, some of his fellow learning designers, myself included, uh, in our team at the Open University. And, and Mark's been using it to give us much in the same sort of way that we've been doing with Pedagodzilla, kind of a real whistle-stop tour of bits of uh, pedagogic theory and practice, which has been fantastic. So this particular session, we were looking at two things. It was applying the Bloom's taxonomy and the Kraftvoll taxonomy, also sort of trying out the Pedagodzilla method in delivering this in workshop form. Yeah, and I think there's another thing that we really discovered as we were going through the workshop, which is there are, although Bloom's is a really useful tool, there are maybe some things intrinsically that make it difficult to apply consistently. And so therefore, I think that got surfaced. So we'll look at that as well, I think, as we're going through it. I've noted down here, uh, just as a reflective method, why not use a bit of Kolb? Because we've already covered uh, the Kolb's experiential learning cycle. Uh, yeah, it just seems like a nice shorthand. So uh, the session itself was the concrete experience that we've already had. And we are now in the reflective observation phase. So yeah. that would be nice. Okay. Can pin all the bits together. Neat. Cool. So Mark, do you want to tell us about, uh, firstly, I guess the objective of the session itself, and then maybe about the taxonomies that we were looking at? So I did this rundown of pedagogic theories and models and things and then blooms is the one that people came back and said can we talk a bit more about that and so the idea was i would run through that i would use the teenage mutant ninja turtles as a lens for that so the idea was let's create a module to teach people about the teenage mutant ninja turtles and let's try using blooms as a way to do that Bloom's taxonomy. Bloom's taxonomy. Bloom's taxonomy. So this is what we're going to try and do then to try and work our way through Bloom's is to, there's, I've forgotten who that is already. Master Splinter. Master Splinter, yes. So he's the guy that teaches the other tea turtles. So this is what we're going to try and do is come up with, very briefly, a uh, module or course which teaches about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles working through those steps one by one. That's the plan. And that then should help us get our, idea, our heads around what Bloom's are. So we st uh, Bloom's taxonomy is basically, it's a pyramid, which is, it's kind of lays out the different cognitive levels for different sorts of activities. And the idea is roughly that you would start with the bottom level and then work your way up. And I've seen one or two things, which is, well, it's not a very good model because it's not predictive and therefore it's of no value. And I think that's a mistake in the way you'd view these sorts of things in that. And I think we're going to come across a really good quote about how useful models are. I, I like the notion that they're saying, you know, all models are wrong. Some models are helpful. <laughs> and I think that's a really valuable way to approach all of these sorts of things. Now, uh, I can't remember when Blooms came out, but it got and got a, a, re, uh, a reversioning. In 2002, 
by a guy called David Crathfall, who... Otherwise known as Kraftwerk. Yes. <laughs> who more or less rearranged the different layers. And so, and I find these might way more useful. And I think this is why this one's caught on. Basic level is remember. Then you move to understand. Then apply. Then analyze. Then evaluate. And then create. And the reason why I like that is because concept is that when you're making something, producing something, you have to draw in all of these other layers in order to make that creation work. And one of the useful things about Blooms and then Crathfall, and there's a guy, we'll look him up, called uh, Andrew Churches, and I'll give you a link to his stuff, which is more for a digital thing. But the idea is that each of these different layers of the pyramid then have a lot of active words that go with them to give you a clue about what kind of activities you might want to do at each of those different levels. Which is, a, which is basically the same way that Bloom's taxonomy worked, except that Bloom's, if I remember correctly, use, it's all about cognitive levels, isn't it? Yeah, and so is Crathfall, really. I think it's, it's the idea is there are different sorts of activity, have a different cognition level, and therefore what you'd want to do is start people off with the basic cognition levels, move them through to the high cognitive levels, and then there are all these clues and structures that the models give you, both Crathfall's and Bloom's, Bloom's taxonomy which then kind of maybe suggest, well, you could list this now, or you could organize this now, or you could design something here. And each of those then would lead to a different kind of cognitive approach. And the useful thing about having it in pyramid structure is that it does sort of remind you, because it's a model and a reminder that you kind of need the stuff underneath it in order to be able to do the stuff at the level that you're at. So, for example, very hard to apply something if you don't understand it. Uh, yeah. very hard to understand something if you don't have the actual the, the recall of what the thing is yeah and um I, we might have a quote of me saying this but um i think one of the useful things if we go way back to barack rosenschein is that uh which is a very early episode which is that a lot of that is about rote learning but that rote learning is actually really valuable because then you've always got it to call on when you need to do some of the applying or some of the evaluating or whatever the other thing about Crothwell in his 2002 paper is that he, he not only has these six different levels in the pyramid, he also applies each of those levels to one of four domains, which um, he called the, oh, and I don't know if I made a note of this one. Crothwell's paper talks about four different domains. So he doesn't just look at those six, oh, I've forgotten already. Is six, yeah. Six, great. Okay, somebody's paying attention. <laughs> You've passed the oh, no level. <laughs> I'm just reminding myself how many were there again. So I counted them in the previous Oh, slides. okay. So oh, well, this then. is not recorded, but this is kind of short-term yeah. memory yeah. of goldfish recall. Yeah. Well, of course, that's one of the things about um, rote learning is that if you get that rote learning in place, and it's still important because you want to be able to take that for granted for the next steps of the process. But anyway, Crathvold breaks it down into not only those six different steps, but also four different domains of learning, which I don't find that helpful because they are factual, conceptual, procedural, and metacognitive. So metacognitive is learning about your learning or reflecting on the way that you're learning. And that's where I diverged a bit because I'm not sure what the word is there. They're not orthogonal. They're not, the factual stuff is still early down in the pyramid and the metacognitive the cognitive stuff is fairly high up so they're not independent variables basically so i didn't want to use that in the workshops but what i did find was something from peggy detmer who came up with four different domains which were the cognitive the affective and what she called the psychomotor but i we're online psychomotor running around that sort of stuff isn't quite so valuable so i just generalize it to just skills in general and then finally what the thing that peggy detmer added to these three categories and these categories have been knocking around for ages is the social domain so i think this is a 2006 paper so then we had four categories that were instead of the four categories that Crathfall used and those are the two basic models that we used going through this so my idea was let's try and come up with what we can across these four different domains cognitive effective skills and social for each of the six different levels of the Crathfall taxonomy. And what yeah. Claire, who helped me design the workshop, suggested was, that's quite a lot. That's 24 different things. So let's just pick one or two as we go through the whole process. And that's basically what we ended up doing. Hmm. And I suppose it's worth saying here, because I'm not sure we've covered it so far, that the reason that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was kind of selected for this in order to kind of 
understand and kind of apply the concept was basically because it was so abstract and we're all learning designers and we all come from multiple faculties across the university and it would have been very easy for us to uh, pick up an existing course or piece of content and we needed essentially some neutral ground that we could have a little bit of fun with and i think one of the reasons why we picked something like that was what we've learned from pedagogzilla being in a bit of uh, kolb's reflection here is that (laughs) actually by in theory by having a pop cultural context it kind of makes it funny it kind of makes people everybody can relate to it in some way and therefore it's a kind of nice shared neutral area that everybody can buy into to some extent so the teenage mutant ninja turtles is was a comic started in the mid 80s by kevin eastman and peter laird uh, who set up mirage studios to do that and then it hit the whole comics getting into the mainstream and got turned in it had a kind of pop cultural thing as far as cartoons went and then movies and i think it kind of lost its subcultural underground feel a bit and it got a bit away from the the creators and then so finally i think more recently it's been bought up by another another company and a lot of the stuff middle stuff has been ejected and you know, there's now a sort of canonical version, which is the very early stuff and one or two other things. And it's kind of recreating, as far as the comics go, some of that underground roots. But it still has this mainstream image of just cowabunga kind of uh, yeah. reptiles jumping around and, and, and shooting things, really. Yeah, it was one of the, um, I don't know if you've seen the documentaries, The Toys That Made Us, but I think they did one on um, the Ninja Turtles. And mm-hmm. basically, it's, it's a really, really good um, documentary and basically shows how uh, they took this kind of pretty niche um, underground comic and then just basically built the entire cartoon franchise, which is what I think more people know it from, uh, based on the toys. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, and th- the whole thing was kind of based around the toys. Like uh, I think in the um, uh, in the original cartoons, they've got like what looks a lot like little turtle willies, for example, <laughs> um, which I think is actually like their shell or something curling underneath, but they do oh, okay. look a lot like willies. Uh, which were on the original mouldings for the toys and things like that and had to get cut off and not cut off, but, you know, then removed. It's, uh, yeah, really, really good series. But yeah, the, yeah, the Turtles, um, I think in large part, owe their broad stroke appeal to just essentially the, the toy industry of the 90s uh, and less the other comics and uh, the cartoons. And of course, when we're talking about our own personal experiences of it, that that did come out in that there were quite some different views yeah. of who these things are that, what very much like um when we were looking at superman with paul hoffman actually and everybody had a slightly different um uh personal relationship to the turtles which i thought was quite sweet because yes. the, the thing you went straight to was the uh the Kevin and peter laird comics yeah um the thing i went straight to was the the toys and the cartoons uh, Olivia's uh, lasting memory was that she was never allowed to watch the cartoons. Yeah, um, everybody had little odd bits of knowledge that um, they remembered. It was yeah, it was really really weird, and, but very sweet. Oh, and so the other thing that I liked about the turtles is again I got this from the after hours cracked stuff, which I am watching even more again now because I don't have people to socialize with. It's like a surrogate social group, um, and um, and so what they talked about there were the four humors and about how. A lot of the most successful TV shows uh, and a lot of the most successful um, just texts in general have four different characters that reflect in some way what are supposed to be the four temperaments. And those four things work really well because they tie into each other. And those four are phlegmatic, choleric, melancholic, and sanguine. So, goes, you know, Is this one of the ones that goes all the way back to Greek? Yeah, um, yeah it's Greek. Yeah, it's Greek theatre. It's, it's the classic literature. But those keep on being reinvented and rediscovered as we're going through things. So you always have somebody that's um, sort of reliable and leaderish and all that sort of stuff, and they're kind of melancholic. They've got their heads screwed on straight. You've got the ones who are a bit arty and a bit dreamery, and they're supposed to be phlegmatic. And then you've got the ones that are just lively and um, kind of full of, of vigor and all that sort of stuff and socializing, and they're supposed to be sanguine. And then you've got the... Um, the ones who are, uh, oh, what's the other one? Choleric, which is sort of antsy and a bit aggressive and a bit antisocial and those sorts of things. So you've got, you can see those things happening time and time again in different sorts of movies and stories and things like that. And I think though they work because those four characteristics bounce off really well from each other. And, that, and so though also then I managed to map those against Peggy Detmer's four 
<laughs> for for learning domains, and so therefore we were off because we'd got you know we'd got uh, Donatello was the phlegmatic one, which was a cognitive thing, and and all that. Oh, sort you're of... missing you're missing out your your thing. Donatello phlegmatic does machines cognitive domain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Raphael choleric cool but rude effective domain. Leonardo melancholic leads skills domain, and the best one Michelangelo sanguine is a party dude from the intro. <laughs> um, social domain. I think that's uh, yeah. That really made me smile. Basically, the cognitive domain is, as far as I understand it, the stuff you have to learn as part of your subject discipline. But then when you're looking at the social domain, there's some confusion there because people think, oh, well, what we're learning about here is the social dynamics of the turtles. Okay. Possibly a bit of social in there, just in the relationships between the characters. No, well, again, it's not social. isn't about the, 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 the social stuff that the... Ah, I'm thinking. It's I guess about I'm thinking the social in, stuff for the students. I guess I'm thinking yeah. in outlining it. Are you starting the bedrock? Or maybe, yeah, maybe. But then if you're remembering a social skill for the students... That would be remembering how to, it would be something basic like remembering how to log on to your forum, remembering your user ID. Mm. So it's not, this is all the cognitive stuff is the content specific stuff. Yeah. But the other domains are not about the content. They're about the, all the other things that you're learning while you're learning about the content. So that's the thing to remember when you're designing a, a module. That's what's coming out of this bit is that when you're teaching the students or when the students are learning, they're not just learning the cognitive stuff about the subject, they're learning all these other skills as well, which aren't directly about the subject. Yes. I mean, what could you remember about the effective domain? It would be remembering your attitudes, your values or whatever, not the, what those of the turtles, but about the turtles. So you're remembering your experiences of interacting with the content is what you'd be looking at there. Yes. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, labels when mm. it came to that sort of thing was just... I think that was something we came back to a couple of times in that people's understanding of it. And it's I, I think it's because we were dealing with quite a sort of top-level broad stroke thing. And sort of, you know, quite a few concepts and stuff were flying around. Maybe it wasn't, wasn't able to go into the same level of detail we might normally with um, with some of these um, individual sections, like, you know, being able to really define what we meant by social. So there were a couple of different interpretations floating around. I, I think probably what happened was I wasn't clear enough about what I meant by cognitive, what I interpreted by cognitive. Um, and so therefore, it's basically that the stuff that's on the curriculum as far as the subject discipline is just the cognitive stuff. But for Detmer and the people that came before her, that's only one small fraction of everything that you're learning when you're doing a course. And I think that's perhaps the stuff where we weren't clear enough on in that when we're looking at these domains, it's only a quarter of it. It's only one of them is actually the subject discipline. Because on top of that, we have the other three. So the effective domain is about your own values that are developed and that you reflect on as you're going through the course, not irrespective of the subject discipline, but alongside that, outside that, whatever. And then the skills domain is, you know, you might be learning digital information literacy skills, or you might be learning employability skills or collaboration skills. Again, they're not directly related to the subject discipline it's not you're not learning about the professional skills the turtles have you're learning professional skills in that process of learning about them and it's the same with the social domain it's not it's the social stuff isn't the social stuff of the subject discipline so if you're learning about i don't know uh his, uh, ninth, the history of the early 20th century, you're not learning about the social, the social domain isn't the social stuff that's going on within early history of the 20th century. It's your, the social things you're learning about yourself, your practice, as you're learning about that other thing. And I think in my head, those things are clear. But again, in it's <laughs> from my head to everybody else's, that I was quite poor, I think, at making those divisions. They're not really divisions because they overlap quite a lot. Um, those divisions clear. So the session itself ran um, basically as you've just described, going through, uh, starting by going through Blooms and then the four domains, mm -hmm. just kind of introducing those. So yeah, so you started off talking about Blooms, uh, Craftworlds, and, and Detmer, and then had a, had a bit of fun and games with the Turtles. We then moved on to the actual task at hand, mm -hmm. uh, which was using Blooms to develop activities. So it was Mark asked us uh, as a team, and Mark sort of facilitating this to create a module teaching students about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and also provided some hilarious 
alternatives slash ripoffs of the turtles. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this is what we'll be doing. Oh, and I found also I found that there's been so many spin-offs: immature radioactive samurai slugs, adult thermonuclear samurai pachyderms, mildly microwaved prepubescent kung fu gophers. <laughs> so they were so popular they had all those. But that's not I like geriatric any- gangrene jujitsu turtles. So I guess we'll get into the objection a bit, but we basically started, I think, at the bottom of the pyramid. Yeah. There's a crucial step we missed out here, which mm. I guess, do we talk about that now or do we return yeah, to that? No, go ahead. Um, okay. Um, okay, so uh, what we should have done here, based on the slide that Mark have very um, thoughtfully put together, and if you do have the slides in front of you, I encourage you to look at it, uh, is uh, read the top right-hand corner, which told us uh, what the learning outcome was. And basically to... Um, I think it was essentially to decide, to determine the learning outcomes, really, wasn't it? So, what kind of attributes and skills should those who study the turtles acquire? So, for us to determine our learning outcomes, instead, we'd all obviously come in with an assumption of what we thought the learning outcomes should be, and then started going straight to the bottom of the pyramid to discuss what we think our students should remember. And got into a really good, you know, discussion here. Started covering some, uh, I think, really useful stuff. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that the obvious stuff was the cognitive domain stuff. And I think the cognitive domain stuff is always probably the most obvious because that's the way we were taught as well. We were Mm. taught, these are the things you need to learn because they're on the exam. Do the exam. That's your education. You've memorized the kings and queens of England or whatever, and you've memorized something else. So, And therefore, you've learned uh, GCSE level history. So, yeah, so that's where we started was who were the turtles, so how would you design – so basically there's a whole set of things that you'd have to memorise in order to start with. And we don't they have to are? go into specifics. Okay. Who they are. Okay. Shall yeah. I write these what down? What they stand for. Yeah, I guess it's like the key sort of knowledge and understanding stuff, isn't it? So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Who their enemies are. So, so step one. What their favourite pizza is. Yes, <laughs> that's the key one, I think. <laughs> so, yeah, it was quite interesting as well because we started off, I think, with the real basic stuff. Like mm. that, like, you know, who they are, what are they called? You know, what what colour are their eye bands and things like that. But then not long after, we were starting to get into some pretty interesting detail, um, which I think was probably starting to move up the pyramid with regards to, you know, who are Peter Laird and uh, Kevin Eastman, stuff like that. So, you know, getting into uh, the deeper understanding of the uh, of the subject. Yeah. It was, they were written by two, like, proper lads as well, <laughs> who just basically sat there eating pizza and drawing comics all day. Yeah. Like that was... I, that, thought, they looked, and, I thought they looked cute, but I, it, they didn't draw me into their hmm. story. Well, the comics are like really like scuzzy and oh, um, really? yeah, really just like weird and inky. So did you have effective related... So if we're talking about remembering your effective connection with these then, yours was quite different from Claire's. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that still crops in at the bottom of the pyramid, which mm. is, remember, but yeah. is going into effective. Yes, you're listing your effective values and relationships and your awareness of them and your responses to them. Um, okay, so... There's also a level of understanding there in terms of, for instance, mm. Claire saying why she didn't like them. There's yes. an element of understanding. I didn't understand them because they seem to be focused on, focus yes. on, on boys. So yeah. And surely some comparison as well, if you're... Yeah. yeah. So your, different, your experience was different from mine. Mm. Then there's an, an analysis in there as well. Yeah, and I think this is one of the things possibly where the workshop revealed some of the issues with Blooms is that you cannot keep each of those different levels discreet because it's natural once you're starting to remember stuff and learn and just memorise things to segue naturally into trying to understand them and then trying to apply them and that kind of stuff. So uh, I try to keep people back and just think, look, we're doing this and we're structuring it in this way. Let's actually stick to just what do we need students to recall at this point. But I think people then naturally started talking about understanding and applying. For me, where it started to get really interesting was when we were talking about the effective stuff and we were kind of talking about what the effective domain things could be. And I said, well, this is your own personal experiences, your own personal responses to it, your own reflections on it. And then once you started doing that, Olivia was talking about um, the fact that she wasn't allowed to watch it. Claire was talking about the fact that she thought they looked cute, but she wasn't really drawn to them. And then you were talking about how you'd read the comics and things. So not only was that building up the effective thing, which is 
what you'd want students to draw on at that point, which is it's not just the thing itself as a set of pop trivia kind of questions to answer. It's about how did you feel about it? How did that have an impact on you? And about, you know, the fact that they're all male and how that's gendered and the fact that April O'Neil is the only female, but she's not a turtle. And, oh, well, she was briefly once. She got turned into one, but, you know, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't stick. And, um, you know, all of those sorts of things are um, are not only there, they're the thing that bring would bring a course to life, but also they're the things that would embed the cognitive stuff. And, of course, the social thing then comes in at the same time. Well, that's because- the thing. It was impossible to talk about the effective stuff without – the social stuff happening organically anyway because mm-hmm. we were all we were already talking about comparing our different uh yeah comparing our different impressions our, our different understandings um and that was happening and then we were instantly like oh of course we've got to bake this into our course about the turtles and also you need to bake that into any course i would uh, argue because if you're thinking about all four domains the detma domains then if you want to get people thinking about that effective domain you really need a good social dynamic because that then triggers people's reflections. I think, oh, I didn't have a relationship with the Turtles because it was just a comic I read once or twice and I saw in the comic stores and that was about it and I knew a bit about what they were all about. And you don't think that's an unusual experience worth reflecting on until you come across people that actually only came across it 10 years later when the cartoons come out and you think, oh, okay, so I did have a different specific relationship with them that was different from other people's. And, of course, Olivia's was very different because they were banned. And, I mean, in this country, they weren't even allowed to be called Ninja Turtles. They were Hero Turtles. Because oh, I do remember the theme, yes. Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. It's because Ninjitsu stuff was banned. And I can't remember which one, the, th- the one with the throwing stars. I think that might be Michelangelo. Throwing stars were banned, and so, therefore, you weren't allowed to see them on television either. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, so, so those are all sorts of things that start becoming unpacked when you start looking at that social domain. We're working our way up the pyramid as we went and kind of as we were doing so, trying to skills, I think, was one that we started to struggle on. But I think that may have partially been due to uh, a shared misunderstanding about uh, or an unshared misunderstanding about what the learning outcomes were for our um, uh, for our session. Yeah, I think that's when it was a bit where we started to emerge that we perhaps hadn't thought properly about the learning outcomes because we then started talking about things like being able to draw and drawing the turtles. Uh, and this was, I think, where it highlighted that we had slightly different perceptions over learning outcomes, and we had a quick chat. It, it doesn't help that I think because the folk we're not. I think the focus of this hypothetical turtles module mm. is it the history of the Ninja Turtles? Is it the Ninja Turtles in context? Because I suppose I, if we're all kind of like thinking of it from different direction, like mm. how you can be a yes. great artist like um, Ninja Turtles, if we think if there's a kind of a consistent line, I think that kind of helps you focus. Oh, well, you um, missed the first stage, which is on the title there. <laughs> what kind of attributes and skills should those who study the turtles acquire? Yes. And we completely missed that out. And any good learning design would start with the learning outcomes, wouldn't yes. we? Um, but, um, <laughs> well, but like, yeah, I was thinking, is the... We'll just edit this bit in now. So looking at the learning outcomes, what do you think the learning outcomes for this module should be? Well, do you want people to get to the end of that model, create and be able to create their own comic and that's... I think that's it. I think yeah. create a comic. So are you analysing, you're, you're learning more about the turtles to learn how to create a uh, turtles level... A 2020, uh, yeah. 2020 compliant. Um, yeah, so imagine you're working for IDW and the, you've just been recruited to um, create the next iteration of the comic. How would you then and go about... Female. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's more inclusive. Yeah, more inclusive because they're all, they're all green turtles. as well, and that's you know we yes. don't have a we don't have an ethnicity kind no, of diversity yeah. teenage there. Teenage mutant ninja turtlets. I don't know what the a female turtle. turtle. I think it's called a turtle. Um, so yeah. I don't. <laughs> but yeah, so so but yeah, so basically, if then turtles that, don't have any gender issues. No, but then in order to do that, you've not just got to understand the history of the turtles as far as a comic goes, yes. but how they've reflected been inspired by the context yes. in which they are yeah so basically what you want to be able to do is come up with something that's kind of honors the tradition of what the, the turtles were yeah but also then make it apply it to 2020 context in a way that makes sense for a, co- a modern readership but also um but also um fits in with the way that it's fitted in with society before so in order to do that you'd have to understand who they are they analyze it how far you can tweak it before you break what they are. 
uh, and work out how the context's been in the past. And that was a really transformative moment for me because, you know, we've, I mean, I've, I've been spending the last couple of years as a learning designer saying to people, hey, what about the learning outcomes? How does this relate to the learning outcomes? And then, yeah, for literally first time out of the gate uh, with designing a, a makeup course um, and, yeah, completely forgot to nail them down early. And it's such an easy mistake to make when you think that you know what the task is, but you're not on the same page as all the people around you. You know, picking up your role, I was going to say our role, but it's not mine anymore, but your role, uh, the role of any learning designer, is you need that separate headspace, you need that external view to actually bring people round to looking at those questions again, because it's so easy once you know something inside out to just make all these assumptions about what should be in the course and where that should go and have this view. It's a threshold concept. You're on the other side of that threshold and you can't then put your head back into what it looks like for somebody who's not on that threshold. And I think that's why learning design as a separate role is such a key part of this creation of modules. Something else, and you can. I've realised you can't hear me nodding, but oh, I'm, okay. I'm <laughs> Something else that though was that although that was in my head, that's, that's what we're working towards. What I realised during the discussion was all this effective domain stuff, all these things about um, people's personal values and their reflections and their different experiences. I was learning from that through that conversation, and I realised that what would be a better learning outcome wouldn't be create. A Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic, but it would be create a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic that stays, adheres to the traditions of the form and would fit within the canon and all that sort of thing and would still be the Eastman-led style thing rather than the intermediate 15 years, whatever it's been, but also one that adhered to your own personal values. So, for instance, Claire wanted to do an all-female set of turtles and so you could have Jenica, who's the female turtle, and three more, and then have a spin-off with them or something that would be appropriate. But that would then also understanding the different periods between 1985 and 2020, and then finding something that would work within a 2020 perspective. So all of those sorts of things would require you understanding about the industry, understanding about the process of creativity, understanding the basic world building of the turtles, but then also understanding your own effective domain and then bringing all that together to create something. And that's where all the professional skills would come in as well. So I think, yes, you want the learning outcomes maybe formulated in your head at the start, but there is a natural process with these creating these learning designs, which is that you need to talk around a bit what the subject is before you can really work out what the learning outcomes mm, are. Absolutely. And I think that's all part of the process as well. And that's what we did in that workshop. Yeah, so we came to the learning outcomes quite late, but I think if anything, that all the de- all the discussions we'd had up to that point had kind of led us towards yeah, a, 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 a be- essentially a better set of learning outcomes. And it was only at the point where it was questioning, well, what do we want to draw? When we're saying drawing, do we want them to be drawing stuff? Do we want to be doing that? It was only when it, we got to the point where we needed greater clarity about what those learning outcomes were. When we got to applying things and creating stuff, we yeah. might have been working from different viewpoints which i'd say is actually probably uh something definitely a feather in the cap of uh, the craft folk model um i'm kind of i'm not even doing this on purpose now craft vol craft vol craft vol uh the craft vol model um is that we were able to get quite far up the pyramid in our discussions before the divergence of divergence of um learning outcome understanding became an issue so because we had this big, we were kind of establishing a basis of kind of what the essential knowledge was going to be in the field, it was quite broad. We were taking quite a broad approach. And it wasn't until we started getting down to the nuts and bolts of application and analysis, where it's much more sort of specific and focused activities, that we really started to ask those questions of what is it we want students to be able to do by the end of this. So yeah, I think that's, that's quite significant for me. I think definitely uh, something that works in favor for the model. Yeah, I guess... You know, the basic cognitive stuff is the stuff that is actually pretty obvious. It's like when you're on that cognitive domain, when you're remembering stuff, it's like, well, if you're saying we're going to do now a subject about, um, oh, I'm just looking around now for something <laughs> random to <laughs> – cat. To, <laughs> cat. cat on your lap. <laughs> uh, 50s, 50 science fiction movies. So say you're doing a subject, a, a study of 50s, a course on 50 science fiction movies, then – the basics of that are what are the movies, who made the movies, 
who were the actors, what were they drawing on, was it you know based on earlier novel stuff. So there's a lot of basic things when you're looking at just what you need to memorize, what are the key facts. You don't have to go that in depth into a subject to figure, well, this is this is where you're starting from. This is where you're starting from with a course. Mm. And I think that would probably be true of anything. It's like, oh, look about giraffes or um, uh, meerkats or something. It's like, well, these are the basic things about them. But then if you're building in something like, well, what is the outcome that you want from your students? Do you want them to be um, biologists who then will do this, this, and this? And it's like, well, what are the attributes you want them to have? That's when it gets more complicated, and that's probably when you need to start locking down what your course is really about. It's not just the key facts. The key facts are pretty obvious. It's what is the point of learning them? What skills mm. are, your, are you going to make sure that the students have got by the end of that course? Yeah. Why course, do you need to know this? Yeah, and so it's only, yeah, exactly. And what are you going to use it for? And it's those are further up that pyramid. So maybe that's that's why that's the point at which we started to get confused. Hmm. So from that point as well, I think we were up to about sort of 10, 15 minutes remaining in the session. Uh, so we accelerated quite a bit. Uh, so we then went on to discuss uh, the analytical, so analyzing and sort of drawing the analytical in um, with, our, with our new focus. Analyzing. Maybe well, have, 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 have we skipped over apply? apply? Didn't we kind of get into apply? Wasn't that pretty much mixed in with understanding? And then we had a little cycle of yeah. understanding and applying bit. and... But, well, but if you're yeah. understanding why they created their comic and then designing your own, oh, yeah. you're applying, applying the understanding in. to join the two together. Yeah, again, they blur in so much, but how would you draw in analytical skills on those? Maybe, maybe you don't analyse what you have proposed for your comic idea, but um, you get students to analyse each other's. Oh, that's right. So that would be good. Because then also that builds up the social skills yes. as well, because yes. it's like analysed. And, well, and an employability skill, professional skill, study skill, professional skill. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think by this stage we were getting quite good at pulling in. So as um, a bit where Claire's uh, proposing uh, sort of uh, an analysis activity we can use, and it pulls in all three domains, I think. Mm. So I think it shows that, at that point in the session, we were definitely getting a bit more familiar with the models and then applying them on the fly. Uh, there's a good bit of your facilitation in there again, just asking kind of um, those nice open questions about uh, the way forwards. I think part of uh, anything about domains and about uh, models and all that sort of stuff is that it takes a while to get hot hang of them because you're not sure where the boundaries are, what different sorts of things are. I mean, none of which really matters. It's only about developing a shared language for exploring these sorts of things. But it takes it maybe takes a bit of practice and a bit of shared negotiation between a group about, well, what are we talking about now when we say this? What are we talking about now when we say that? And mm. then about bringing all that together. And I mean, this is part of the problem which makes passing on that kind of thing difficult for other people is that those might be a set of meanings that have been negotiated within that group. But then when you start to then collaborate with a different group that have, might have just negotiated them a very slightly way, slightly different way, you then have those boundary conflicts again. And you then have to renegotiate those meanings in order to be able to progress coherently. And this is possibly why, you know, sometimes working in modules can be difficult because we're talking as learning designers, we're talking about one set of phrases and one set of things. And we might be talking about a different to a different group of people that have negotiated a different set of meanings to fill maybe the same labels and then that has to be all worked out yet again so but i think that's an average, that's an inevitable part of language more than anything else i'm thinking how difficult i found it at the beginning of this session to hold the social effective and the skills in my head as well as looking to apply craftfold's pyramid maybe two at once was a bit much but because you, you do end up then with 24 because you've got six going up and four going across and you end up with 24 different therefore different things that you could be doing at any one time and but this is the problem also with Krathvall's paper is that he's reorganizing the Bloom's principles into six different things gets used a lot but his division of then four four domains that run in parallel with that so you again you end up with 24 different categories those four domains don't get passed around anywhere near as much because it overcomplicates the whole thing I, th I guess the important thing for me in that is cognitive load, just maybe how much you can ask a person to interpret and apply mm. at the same time. 
Uh, we did a we did a, a quick bit where I just sort of uh, did a reflection on the session and how people had found it. So reflecting now on the this as a kind of run through, if I was going to do this workshop again, do you think it'd be worth doing if somebody else wanted to know about blooms? Yeah. Okay. I think it's good to apply to something which you would not ordinarily apply it to. Because yeah. It kind of stretches your thinking and you kind of cannot rely on rehearsed responses because it's a context yeah. that you're unlikely to have been encountering in any time in the past. I drop the learning outcomes in halfway through again as well because that's a good illustration of how hard mm. it is to write a course without a plan. I am such a, you know, you're saying you're imposter syndrome incarnate. No, because you let on that you're an imposter sometimes and I don't you know so i'm way more of an imposter and so my constant need for um validation is runs through everything so that's why i always ask feedback it's partly so i can learn from it but it's mainly this kind of emotional neediness of like did i do good this time did i good please tell me i'm good and that's basically what i did and that (laughs) if you listen to the clip that pause before anybody says anything back i go so how did you feel that went and everyone's quiet and then Claire gives me, like, you know, very brief, like, yeah, it was, it was okay. I was, for th- for a split second, for like half a second, I was just dying inside going, <laughs> oh, no, they all hate me. I'm so useless. And then people go, no, it was all right. It was all right. So, But that's why that was there. It's Yes, partly it helps me inform my own practice. But secondly, it's because I need that personal validation. I think you struggle to find anybody who doesn't feel the same way. From my perspective, I sort of quite enjoyed the session. I, I, actually, were you quite. talking about that pause? Quite, oh, Mike. No, no. Yeah, absolutely. I, sorry, I, I enjoyed the session. Okay. Oh, um, um, I was thinking about that pause, actually. I think I was listening to some of the clips and um, where you're kind of asking open questions, particularly at the beginning, a sort of like a, a little bit of science where people are trying to process things. And I wonder if there's just a little bit of shyness, perhaps, in being the person to speak out in a new group. Well, and also, I think maybe you and I underestimate this quite a lot because we don't really care. But I think some people feel slightly self-conscious when they're being recorded for dissemination oh, purposes. of course, think it yes. Could have been that. Bloody hell. Yeah, I don't know how I didn't think of that. Because <laughs> we take it for granted. We don't, I mean, you know, I can't remember how many people listen to that, but it's nearly up to triple figures now, isn't it? And we don't care because we just think, well, you know, we, they know we're idiots by now anyway. But <laughs> yeah. for somebody else, that might be quite a daunting prospect really that's a very very good point i hadn't considered that i mean from my perspective i probably talk more when i've got a microphone in front of me i try and keep my head down the rest of the time i guess that's a bit that's a bit of reflection then that'll be an interesting one to run again without um having people wired up no i'd think that we wire them up and we just get them used to their feeling (laughs) you know but i mean but back to the reflection on the session oh yitz's thing on not relying on rehearsed responses that's very interesting so yeah so this is about the turtles being a kind of neutral space but I think it's also that playfulness. Okay, not everybody liked them as much as I expected them to. But because I did all that bullshit about the four humours and things, which hopefully just makes it look a bit more ridiculous. And also mm. we are talking about mutant turtles. that are That's all a bit silly. And I think because of that ludic attitude, you know, that playfulness, it's... Um, opens up a different part of the creativity process and people are all a bit more relaxed maybe despite being wired up and i think that's why this works what we do with the pedagogzilla stuff but i think it's also why doing things like that more when we're trying to do those sorts of workshops might work as well you might find it backfires people go this is all too silly i'm not going to engage with this but, but I, I don't think we uh, want to be talking to those people anyway. Well, no, fuck them. You know, if they got a stick <laughs> their ass, then let's not engage with them anyway. I, I tell you what, actually, this is so you know how back at the begin, uh, the very beginning, where we were talking about remember and understand, and just how it sort of took people a little while to get going, and there was sort of different un, different levels of understanding about the turtles, and you're a bit surprised by you know people maybe not being quite as au fait with it as you're expecting. I wonder if this is our subject matter expert moment. Because we tend to talk about, when we're doing the pedagogical stuff, we tend to talk about stuff that we are quite familiar with, or at least a bit more comfortable with. I think maybe that's the part of the problem with just picking anything randomly like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is, I don't think it mattered with us because we all knew a little bit about them and nobody really cared that nobody else did because we all know each other enough. But I think if you were then going to design a course that where somebody had never heard of them and felt very alienated by the whole process because it was just a completely out of the blue thing 
then maybe they wouldn't feel as able to participate in the process bits because they've already felt excluded by the fact that you're picking a subject they don't know anything about. Yeah, and and it's very hard for, well, I mean, it's very hard to work your way up that pyramid if you don't know what you're talking about. I guess one of my big reflections from this would be, um, and I suppose that this is definitely moving into abstract conceptualization territory, that you need to have something either ubiquitous, I've, I've, you know, thinking offhand, something like the Great British Bake Off or something, something that you know that people will have even a cursory awareness just from being a member of society. Yeah. Um, or alternatively, you know, have a, have an open forum before you do this to work out what it is that is the common thread between people. I think the latter, because this is one of the things I've found out from doing Pedagodzilla particularly, is that you cannot presume that people know the things that you know. Hmm. And I mean, even between us, there's some things you'll reference that I've never heard of and things I'll reference you've never heard of. And we're pretty much identical in terms of our interests. It's yeah, just so. that there's no way that you can actually know those things. And you can't know what other people know. And I think that's – and I get this all the time in my life. So I'll make some some reference to Star Trek and just get completely bewildered by the fact that they don't know, they don't know what a Gorn is, for instance, or that it was – it was the fight that he had with Kirk was on Cestus Three, and I'll make the a famous about- the famous fight, like yeah. the most meme thing ever. <laughs> yeah. So yes, yeah, so in fact, I think probably the best thing to do would have a quick chat with everybody. Going, do you know enough about this particular thing in order to be able to make some kind of informed comment about it all? So I'm just conscious of the time. Shall we yeah, go through and just kind of do our wrap up? I was going to say, I think I'd just like wrap up reflections. So just kind of yeah. round up our reflections so far. So if we go back through in order, so mm. for starters, just having uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as um, the subject, I think I think it was a good abstract subject to work with. But I think based on this discussion that finding some common ground with everybody mm. uh, before the session on reflection might be a better way to... Despite people saying they didn't know enough about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I think... Actually, as it turned out, they did. But I mean, so for instance, Olivia, who hadn't been allowed to watch them, but that was itself a relationship with them. It was, she remembered had them being banned in her home. And mm. you're still aware, and there's still enough of a background knowledge of it's four turtles, they fight crime. We didn't really need to know much more about it than that in order to participate. Mm. But I think having something which you've got some sort of knowledge in the subject even if it is very, very basic, mm. allows you to participate and not having that would definitely be a barrier. Maybe if you didn't talk about, I don't know, anime or something, then maybe that might leave people cold because they wouldn't have enough of a cultural perspective to understand yeah. it. So you might be yeah, wondering. Yeah, definitely like one you'd have to be very careful of sort of sending out the, uh, oh, it's fine, just, just, you know, just YouTube this, um, YouTube this clip and it'll be fine. Reflections on using Bloom slash Cruffles taxonomy. I think there is inevitably going to be confusion about the labels. They're not as clear-cut. They're not as clearly demarcated. And also that the idea of moving up through them one layer at a time doesn't really work either. And I think being clearer about that up front rather than discovering it and people getting confused, if you kind of make clearer up front that actually these are just blurred boundaries and those sorts of things and also maybe not focus so much on the six key words but as you pointed out earlier that actually when you look at the verbs associated with them they're actually a lot more clarity around those so maybe focus on those in future if you're teaching blooms and say look this is you know at this point we are looking at comparing critiquing recommending and testing and use Mm -hmm. that word rather than evaluate yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Okay, I'd also I'd also use the word elastic application. Um, mm, okay, just because it, I, it sounds nice, um, <laughs> and I like the the idea of just sort of bouncing up and down between a couple of the tiers because they do all definitely work in order and together. But as you say, yeah, it's that kind of it's trying to sort of pigeonhole things between where I think it starts to get a little bit prescriptive. There's a conflict between allowing people to go into the direction they're going because it's generating ideas and locking them off because you're saying that's not what we're doing at this point what we're doing now is we're looking at things we remember about 
our relationship with them. We're looking at remember and effective. Let's just stick to that. And maybe that's where I went wrong was actually by allowing people to just freewheel and bounce ideas off each other too much. And really, if you're trying to get the concepts across, what you need to do is explore each bounded category a lot more fully before moving on to something else because it's not really about the design it's about getting your head around the four domains and the six levels mm. i guess i guess maybe there's a little bit of transparent pedagogy in there just in kind of i guess the setup of this section maybe just in kind of like you're going to want to explore and bounce around but the reason we're doing it in this order and the reason we're going to be approaching it this order is so that you can get your head around the pyramid and then we can start thinking about this and it's just about training your brain to think in that way Although the reification thing is really useful and it is, it really helps get your, you put them into practice because you're employing them in an actual situation. There's a danger in that, which is that you get caught up in the product that you're creating, which is actually only a means to an end. And the end is actually to reflect on that process. And Mm. I think that's an inevitable danger. Yeah, I'd agree. Not to say that the session didn't succeed in its objective at all, because I think it did. I think it was a really good fun session, which was definitely part definitely part of the objective. I think we all came out with a much better understanding of of the taxonomy and the domains uh, and Detmer's domains. So I think I think that was all really really valuable. I think it was definitely an objective achieved there. I guess I guess it's just kind of um, having sort of neater lines around things, which is uh, a nice to have. Yeah, I think there was some blurring and confusion, and you know, um, of of where we were at with different things. Some of that confusion is inevitable because it's a con- it's not a clear-cut set of definitions hmm. but we could have been clear about where the lack of clarity was maybe i don't know i think that covers us for abstract conceptualization hmm. okay okay so i hope this uh this episode's been uh, been been interesting for you uh, we've certainly had a, a good time discussing it um there's a uh, a full set of the slides that uh we uh, that mark used in the session um available uh which will be in the show notes um as well as a few other bits and pieces so thanks very much for listening you can subscribe to us on all of your favorite apps feeds itunes uh, and at our website pedagodzilla pedagodzilla.com um if you want to get in touch with us uh you can get hold of me at pedagodzilla on the twitters or at mark yeah at mark childs on the twitters um we love you very much and we'll uh, we'll speak to you again next time oh, oh and also we're, you'll maybe see you at Playful Learning which we've been accepted for probably should have mentioned that at the beginning of the episode never mind I um, think it still should be on yes yeah I was going to say and uh, let's be careful out there but you shouldn't be out there <laughs> yeah remain indoors <laughs> uh, we love you lots and we'll speak to you next time bye bye now yeah, bye